So let's come before God's word and hear this from the word of the Lord from Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Pray with me. Holy, merciful Father, I pray that this prayer of David will be our prayer, that our hearts would not be lifted up too high, that we would not occupy ourselves with things beyond us, but we would have calmed and quieted souls that hope on you. Give us grace to hear this word. May your spirit work in our hearts and our minds, that our hope would be in you. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. You know, I took the kind of classic worship pastor route and uh, went with the psalm this morning, um, stuff I'm familiar with, so it's good for you and for me. But as I, as I contemplated this psalm, as I thought about uh, this idea of hope, I started thinking about, you know, hope is something that we, as a culture, we love. We love hope, right? We build campaigns on hope. We have posters that have hope on them, right? We have slogans, hope for a better tomorrow, we have hopes for our lives. We have hopes for our children, right, and our children's children, and so on. Hope is something that's actually a big part of our life. Whether you're in the church or whether you're not in the church, we all hope in things. We trust things to happen. I found this definition of hope on the Google machine. It said this, Hope is being able to see that there's light despite all of the darkness. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all of the darkness. So what is this, what is this hope? I mean, if we, if we think about it, if we build slogans about it, if we put it on posters, what actually, what, what is it? Is it real? Is it something that's real or is it just something we write down um, to make us feel better when we're in pretty dire times? Um, in this text, the word hope, in verse 3, actually means to wait to wait on the Lord. So it could read, O Israel, wait in the Lord. So to hope is to wait. And this is a common occurrence throughout the Psalms, to wait or to hope in God. They're waiting and hoping in a steadfast love, right? His love that will never fail. They're hoping while they wait. So biblically, hope is waiting with an expectation. Hope is a patience that trusts God that trust that God is there and that God is working even when he seems silent. One of the beautiful things about hope is hope is also something that doesn't last forever because hope is something that will one day be realized. So, so we're not going to be left waiting for forever. And in Revelation 21, we see this beautiful vision of how, what our hope will look like when our hope is one day finally realize when our waiting is over, we hear this in Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people. And God gave himself with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Let that sink in. He's saying death, something that we've all experienced in some way or form, will be no more. It's hard to even imagine, isn't it? Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is our hope as a Christian. That one day Jesus Christ will come back. He will make all things new. There will be no more death, no more dying, no more pain. This will be our hopes realized. Our waiting and our expectations will be met. When Jesus will come back and he'll finish his work. And in this short little psalm, we're taught how to hope while we wait. In this little psalm, we're, we're, we're taught how to hope while we wait. And three things that we're going to be looking at this morning are the birth of hope, the death of hope, and the consummation of our hope. The birth of hope, the death of hope, and the consummation of our hope. So how do we grow in hope? How do we wait well? How do we wait when nothing around us makes sense? Well, the first thing we see is we see humility. The first verse here is speaking of a humble heart. David says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. David is saying, O Lord, I'm not God. He's acknowledging his limitations. He said, I'm not occupying myself with things that are beyond me. I am not God. You are God. And on one hand, you know, I think it seems easy to accept our limitations, right? I'm not God. I can't make things grow from the ground just by saying, tree. See, it didn't work. So I'm not God, right? I, I have limitations. It's okay to laugh if you feel like laughing. It's, it's okay. There we go. So I, I have limitations, right? You have limitations. And on one hand, we, we know that. You know, I don't jump off a roof expecting to fly. I have these limitations. I know that. But on the other hand, I think it's actually really hard for us in the day-to-day -day life to actually acknowledge our limitations, right? I think we want to be God. We want to make the rules because we can make the rules better, especially when the rules don't make sense to us, right? We want to be in control of all things at all times. We don't do well with authority, with someone else setting the rules, we want to peek behind the curtain and see what the Wizard of Oz looks like, right? As one of my professors talked about, he talked about this, there's this line, and God lives above the line, and we're below the line. And so being below the line, there's certain things that we just can't see. And David's saying, you can't occupy yourself with things that you can't possibly know. And this is David speaking, right? King David. King David, the one who, who conquered Goliath. King David the one who built a huge kingdom. King David, who's, through whose lineage, the savior of the world would come. And King David is saying, listen, I'm dependent on someone else. King David is saying, I have limitations. He has learned the lesson of humility. And this is the first aspect of what our growth in hope looks like. It's a growth in humility. <clears throat> and if we look to verse 2, we see that he has learned this lesson through being weaned, through contentment. Look, he says, but, he says, I haven't done these, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. He's saying, instead of occupying myself with things beyond myself, I've weaned my soul. I've said, you know what, God, I trust you. You know better. I've grown in contentment. 
I've realized that God is God. And he uses an interesting metaphor here to help explain what this biblical contentment looks like. He says, like a weaned child. His soul has been weaned like a child has been weaned from his mother. And a child who's been weaned is one who's learned to trust their mother, right? A weaned child is one who's maturing when something good has been taken away to be replaced by something better, right? They're maturing into being able to eat solid food. A weaned child has learned contentment without its mother's milk. Being weaned also suggests a process. Um, you know, he didn't wake up one day content any more than a baby wakes up one day weaned, right? All the women in the room say amen. There we go. Right? It's a process, and it's not always a fun one either. There's much crying and screaming that happens from the process of weaning, but it's necessary for maturity and growth and hope. We all need this weaning process to happen to us. So instead of being prideful, David has been weaned of his pride. Those things have been pulled out of his life so he can become humble, so he can become content. So David has come through the weaning process. He's learned to trust God. Things have been taken away from him, and he's learned this great lesson of contentment. And this lesson of contentment leads him, leads him to complete trust on God. It gives him an everlasting hope. So this is a hope that has been written about throughout all the Psalms that, that even while waiting, David hopes in the Lord, even though his enemies are raging against him and all around him, he finds his refuge in God. He hopes in God. And he calls us, he calls us to hope in the Lord too. He's saying this is how hope grows in us. Humility and contentment in the Lord give us lasting hope. Humility and contentment in the Lord give us lasting hope. And the final verse kind of seems a little bit out of place um, because he changes how he's talking. The first two verses are kind of this personal prayer. Then he turns attention and says, But you, O Israel. So the weaned soul, the quieted, the humble spirit that trusts in God, trusts in God at all times. And because there's a trust there, there can be actual hope that the waiting that we have is not in vain because we trust that even if we're at the bottom of a well and we can't see a light, that God is there. And he will come through because his love is steadfast, meaning it never fails, meaning it is actually as good as it sounds. And this is what David is calling Israel to. This is what he's calling us to as well, to humility, which leads to contentment, which leads to lasting hope. This is great. This is good news, right? This is awesome. The problem is that, is that we often, if, if not most of the time, we actually live on the other side of this psalm. Right? Where instead of experiencing the joy and the freedom and the birth of hope in us, we instead experience the death of hope. Right? We struggle to let God be God. We struggle to trust God when things don't go as planned. So instead of following an example of David, our prayer is often the opposite, and this leads us to the death of hope, which leads us to, to proud and anxious and restless hearts. So most of us would pray the prayer like this. We would say, oh, Lord, my heart is lifted up too high. My eyes are raised beyond me. I, did, I occupy myself with things too great 
been too marvelous for myself. And the first, the first of these um, opposites that hits us is, is pride. The death of hope is a proud heart. Think about it. The nature of a proud heart says, I am God. A proud heart doesn't need anyone else because they're self-sufficient. And one of the main problems with acting like your God is eventually, one day, you will come upon a problem that you cannot fix yourself. One day you will come up against something that is bigger than your ability to manage, to mitigate, to fix. And because of that, a proud heart, a heart that says, I am God, doesn't lead to a calm, doesn't lead to a calm and quieted soul. Instead, it actually leads to a restless and anxious spirit. So if we say that a humble and content soul says, I am God and I trust in God, then the opposite says, I am God and I trust myself. So think about this. I mean, if our hope, if our hope is not in God, if it's in our own ability to navigate what we see, what we find, what we interact with in this world, this is scary. Especially when so much happens in life that's outside of our control. Like politics, or jobs, or housing markets, or unemployment, or drought, or so on and so forth. No one plans to get sick, right? And if our hope is in ourselves, then what do you do when all the systems that you've created around yourself crash? If your hope's in yourself, what do you do when everything around you is crashing down? What do we do when we can't just fix the problem? When you can't just muster enough willpower to get through? I was reading an article the other day called The Anxious Americans. I think we might be able to relate because I think most of us Except for my wife and her family are Americans. Um, go Canada. Here we go. It says this, the anxious Americans. Americans are pretty anxious people. Nearly one in five of us, 18%, has an anxiety disorder. We spend over $2 billion a year on anti-anxiety medications. College students are often described as more stressed than ever before. There are many explanations for these nerves. You know, bad job market, less cohesive communities, the constant self-comparison that is social media. In 2002, the World Mental Health Survey found that Americans were the most anxious people in the 14 countries studied. I don't, I don't think that'll come across as surprising to any of us. I used to think that I was um, pr pretty... Uh, calmed and quieted soul myself until I decided to go to seminary. <clears throat> and then I realized that I'm an anxious spirit myself. There's many times where I try to be God. I try to will myself through difficult times, but I can't. Because we're a people that really don't want to be weaned. If the weaning process is as difficult and painful as it sounds, we don't want that. And so we fight against it. And this makes us anxious and restless. Because we place ourselves in the position of who God is. We can't calm and quiet our souls by sheer grit. We grow anxious. And one of the reasons this anxiety continues to grow in us is because any success that we do have, <clears throat> any willpower of our own that does work, only give us lasting, it does not give us lasting hope, it gives us a very temporary, fleeting hope. So that makes us more anxious because then you've got to work harder 
to gain a little bit, to work harder to gain a little bit. It's an endless cycle, and it makes us restless people that have no peace. So the best we can muster on the underside of this psalm is a fleeting hope, a hope that satisfies for a moment but is gone the next. And to be clear, when I speak about anxiety here, I'm not, I'm not speaking about anxiety in terms of someone who actually struggles with an anxiety disorder. I know many people who struggle with actual anxiety disorders, and anxiety comes on that person when they have no control. Um, when they're just sitting down, doing normal things, anxiety becomes overwhelming for that person. So what we're talking about is, is different than that. We're talking about an anxiety that comes from a proud heart who tries to, to be God in every moment of life. But even still, even if, even if you are here and you struggle with an anxiety disorder, even if you need medication to help you mitigate your anxiety, this message of lasting hope is still for you. It's for all of us. So whether or not you struggle with an everyday anxiety or an actual disorder, all of us need to look to God and to hear this message of hope, that we can hope and we can trust and we can wait on him because his steadfast love does endure. So, um, so how do we do this? How do we, how do we overcome the underside of this psalm that is so pervasive in our life, in our culture? The answer uh, is not going to be surprising to any of us, um, but it's we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus because Jesus is the consummation of our hope. One of the ways that Jesus does this is he actually models hope for us. Consider for a second the life of the life of Christ. In the incarnation, what does he do? He models humility. Here you have Jesus, the one who created all things and who right now holds all things together, God, being born in a frail human body. That's, that's humility, isn't it? And he also actually physically needed to be weaned from his mother's milk, right? Jesus knew humility. He modeled it for us. And in the march to the cross, he shows true contentment. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane for a moment. You have Jesus praying intensely, so intensely that he's sweating blood. And in that moment of intense prayer, he actually asks God, he says, he says, Father, take this cup from me if it's your will. And God actually does not take the cup from him. And instead of responding and, and pouting and screaming, he marches. He turns himself in peacefully and he marches his own cross up to the place where he'll be crucified. Now imagine yourself for a moment uh, being falsely accused for something. And that false accusation was going to lead to death. Who in this room in the right mind would not rail against that accusation and say, no, that wasn't me. Please don't kill me, Right? I'm pretty sure that would be all of us. Yet Jesus lays down his life. He shows true contentment. He shows what a true contented heart looks like. And then in the resurrection, what does he do? He shows us the hope of glory that will wait on all who call on his name. Right? Death is conquered, and his life becomes our life. 
But the beautiful thing is he doesn't just model this hope for us. He actually accomplishes it for us, right? He is our humility. He is our contentment. He is our hope. And we need this. We need him to do this for us because we can't accomplish this on our own. And that's the point. On our own, we just get stuck in this endless cycle that leads to restless spirits. But with him, with Jesus, we're able to actually grow in humility, which leads to growth and contentment, which leads to an everlasting hope. And as Romans 5 says, a hope that will not be put to shame. Our hope in Jesus will not return void. And it, and it, and it doesn't put us to shame because our waiting our hoping, our trusting is on a God who is there. A God who is with you right now. A God who will not fail to come through. Whose steadfast love is never wavering. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself actually in the midst of this struggle of finding hope in the midst of this waiting that we have right now, if life is suffocating for you, if anxiety and restlessness is crippling you and you have no rest, Jesus is calling you. He's saying, come, find your rest in me. And part of finding our rest in God is allowing this weaning process, as, a, as uncomfortable as it is, to actually happen in your life. You know, when a child is weaned, the child gets upset and they get confused and they start fighting because their only known source of food, a good thing, is actually being taken away. It's being taken away and it's being replaced by something that's foreign. Although it's better, it's still foreign. And this happens, actually, we experience this as adults all the time. Think about it if you've ever gone on a diet or something. Uh, you're, you're, you're doing a weaning of sorts, whether it's um, you decide to go on a juice fast for a little while or you uh, cut sugar, or you cut wheat, or processed foods, or whatever it is, you're actually weaning certain things away from your body, and it's painful, right? I usually last a good day <laughs> before I'm back at whatever I was trying to take away. Um, so we, we understand how this process works. And spirit, the spiritual weaning of our soul is much the same. God often will cut things out of our life, things that are good, even, Things that we think we need. But this is necessary for us. So we can, we can get to the same place that David got to. Where his contentment, his source of hope, are God. And to have a calmed and quieted soul that is completely dependent on trusting in God. It is this kind of weaning that's necessary for hope. For true, lasting hope to be birthed in us. And for our eyes to be fixed on the consummation of our hope our hope that will never be put to shame, our hope in Christ that never returns void. And Christ models this as he weaned himself from the Father. He took the, to the place of a human and he died on the cross to feed us, to sustain us. So let us go to our Savior. Let us hope in him and let us find our souls calmed and quieted by the comfort of a Savior that's good and lovely. May that give us an everlasting hope, even as we wait. Hear this word as we close from Revelation 21 again. And this is one of those beautiful things that, you know, some of us to have hope might do well to read this every day. Because this is what's waiting for us. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Pray with me. Merciful Father, we come to you asking that you'd help this prayer of David to come true in our lives. That we would grow in humility, that our hearts would not be lifted up too high. That we would grow in contentment, that you would help us to wean our souls. And that we would have a calmed and quieted spirit before you. And we'll be able to hope in you from this time forth and forever. We long for the day when death will be no more, when there will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, when you will make all things new. And while we wait, God, may we hope in you. Pray this in your holy name. Amen.